0: Okay, we're, I say we're finally ready, that's plural. The truth is, I'm finally ready. (laughs) So, nice to see you all this evening, and some different faces. So it's great to have uh, Keisha and Lupe with us this evening, and Amber and Honor uh, are surprise visitors, and uh, we're missing some of our folks, we miss them also. And... I think we are finally ready to go here. Uh, let's pray as we get going. Father, we thank You for Your mercies of today. And not a day goes by that we don't receive them more than, more than we realize, Lord. And, and we thank You for this blessing we have here this evening that we can meet with uh, Your people, the body of of Your Son, and that we can see each other's faces and encourage one another in our faith uh, in seeking You, Lord. Um, we pray that as we study tonight, uh, really the most significant focal point in all of our human history, the death, the sacrificial death of Your Son, that You would renew our, our zeal, our love, uh, for what you have done and sharpen our understanding and, and further equip us to serve you as we ought and to love our neighbors and uh, to love your people, Lord. Uh, we do pray for Jan, uh, Lord, that you would uh, heal her as you surely can. And we pray for our dear sister, Frida, that uh, you would be with her as you have for all these many many years and uh, we know Lord the time comes when you call us home and uh, we think that might be the case with our dear Frida Lord Uh, we will grieve her her loss but it will be her gain so Lord bless this dear sister so Lord we commit ourselves to you and uh, Thank you for this opportunity. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, what we're doing in this class is we're just going through the entire New Testament uh, one step at a time, and we've been going through the Gospels, and uh, we are now to the point in the Gospels of our Lord's uh, crucifixion. And we're right in the middle of that. And actually I have a little bit of an outline here I think I could show you. Uh, as to where where we are, <clears throat> the Son of Man lifted up Jesus' death and crucifixion so where we where we are tonight, well, we've considered his his trip to to Golgotha. Jesus addresses the daughters of Jerusalem as he's going to Golgotha, the place of the skull. And uh, the casting of lots as Jesus was beginning to be crucified. The, the prayer statement in Luke we studied last week quite a bit. Tonight we're going to do these three. We're going to talk about the inscription over Jesus on the cross that Pilate had put on the cross. And then we're going to talk about the insult and the blaspheming. Remember, the, the cross... It was designed to, to be two things. What was it designed? Two big things it was designed to do to its victims, what the cross was designed to do. In the Roman uh, process of execution, there were two main things it was designed to do. Pardon me? Demain him. Humili- yeah, humiliate, that was one of them. And what's the obvious other one? <laughs> the physical suffering the physical suffering and the public humiliation and shame okay and so we're going to see the public humiliation and shame and all the insults and that type of thing that are hurled against him while he is being crucified so we're going to talk about that and we're going to talk about the two rebels that were executed alongside of Jesus <clears throat> so that's that's our our attempt uh, for uh, for this evening, those three those three areas. So, um, <clears throat> the inscription over Jesus, John's Gospel has the most detail. So, we will start with that. Oh, now we're good. Okay, so John has the most detail regarding the placard, and so we'll start reading that in John 19. Now, Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross And the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Then many of the Jews read this title. For the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. So let's think about this for a moment. Um, It was the Roman practice to place a placard around the neck of the criminal being executed or someone going before the criminal carrying it. And it indicated the crime that the person was being punished and crucified for and uh, and to put it all to public view. And it served as a public warning so that the Roman uh, government would warn others who may commit similar crimes. So that's where the placard comes from, which standard practice with Rome executing whom they considered to be the chief of criminals is the purpose of the, of the placard. Now, <clears throat> uh, Pilate, as shrewd as he was, continues to harass the Jews by referring to Jesus as their king, whom they are crucified. And John's readers, including us, us of course, know that this is actually true. Pilate has written, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Now, we know that is actually a true statement. And that's common. John does this in his gospel a number of places where people speak way beyond what they actually know. And Caiaphas, the high priest, does the same thing uh, when he talks about it would be expedient for one man to die rather than the whole nation perish. And so now Pilate still insists labeling this man, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. So, of course, the Jews don't like that. And uh, let me follow my own notes here now, many of the Jews read this title for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. Now, what feast, what feast are we in the middle of here? Right after Passover comes unleavened bread. So, so, so this, is, uh, this is the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Jerusalem is still packed. Many people are coming and going, uh, getting prepared for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And where Jesus is, is just outside of the city, and one of the major roads goes by there. So many people are seeing uh, the execution of these three men. And so John tells us it was near the city, was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Therefore the chief priest said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but he said, I am the king of the Jews. Now, Pilate, uh, let me, let me get my, oh, let's say this. He's passing near enough to that site to be able to read that inscription. It's written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. So Hebrew or Aramaic was a common language of most of the Jews Living in Judea, they spoke Hebrew. Those living in the south and those near Jerusalem, Aramaic was their common language. They they spoke that. But uh, further north, uh, they would be speaking Greek or Latin. Now, Latin was what? The official language of the Roman occupying force was Latin. And now Greek was what? The international language of the whole Roman Empire. So if you did any traveling or trade in the Roman Empire, you used Greek, or we call it Koine Greek. And so that was a common language throughout the whole Roman Empire. So there's three languages involved. And uh, <clears throat> putting the placard in those three languages uh, was designed to make sure as many people as possible could could understand it um, <clears throat> when, when they executed someone. So Pilate wants the widest possible circulation of the crime and its punishment as a deterrent to every segment of the population. And in so doing, he made the widest possible He made the widest possible proclamation of who Jesus is, didn't he? I mean, we got this. This is the king of the Jews, and it's going out in multiple languages. It sounds like a precursor to the day of Pentecost, doesn't it? Because that's exactly what's going to happen at the day of Pentecost, is they're going to speak in the languages of all these other people's. And that's the whole point of the tongues thing on the day of Pentecost is that the gospel is now coming to all nations in their language. And we've jumped we'll get to Acts, but I kind of see this as a precursor to that, that this is being publicized in, in all three of those languages, um, which is a which is a one which is a wonderful thing. So So, therefore the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, don't write the king of the Jews, but he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. He's not going to change it. He's no longer stuck between a rock and a hard spot, correct? And what what was the kind of the rock and the hard spot that he was stuck between? Yeah, yeah, because they told Pilate, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. And the Jews even said, we have no king but Caesar. What about you, Pilate? Are you loyal to Caesar? And Pilate was already on record. His personnel file up there in Rome had a few, you know, uh, What do you you call those? I forgot what you call. Anyways, his personnel record had a few bad marks against it already with the emperor. And and a vassal state like Israel, you could go to Rome and if you didn't like your local king, you could file a case against your local king and the emperor would, would evaluate it. And they, of course, were threatening Pilate that that's... What they would do if they didn't execute Jesus. So, so. But at this point, he he doesn't have to please the Jews anymore. At this point, and he just says, "What I have written, uh, I have written." So uh, <clears throat> he doesn't have to please them now. <clears throat> when we see the notice in those three languages, uh, we already said that it. You know, the whole the whole empire is being reached here it's a proclamation of the good news regarding this man uh, throughout the world so your questions or comments are are very welcome before we before we move on to the to the next one thank you i think you said this but I want to confirm
1: that the Hebrew it says there is Aramaic and it wasn't the Hebrew
0: of the old That's time. correct. Okay. That's what that's what I understand. It's similar. Yeah. It's it's similar to the actual Hebrew of the, of the Old Testament and and I'm not smart enough to point out what what the actual differences are. Well, Aramaic is, is what Richard let won't use this microphone. So people that, that are on Aramaic is a Syriac language. Oh really? Yeah. Okay. All so right. uh, w- when the Greek uh, the, the how do you say the uh, uh, the heirs to the, the Alexander's Empire the Seleucids. Yes. They were uh, in encamped prior to the Romans taking over it. that was more or less their territory Yeah. and Aramaic was their lingua franca. I did not I did not realize that Okay. Anybody else on the, the on the placard on discussing? Um... Question. Um, yeah. Uh, oh man. I'm drawing. Oh, David. Brian. No, 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 Brian. Your David is there. Brian. Oh man. What's wrong with my mind tonight? I. I, I... Either name. Brian. You, you... Uh, I you... noticed you both, but you both you both like black. I've I noticed that. We're, we're simple people, we try to be.
1: Um, isn't the placard, uh, he wanted it, it changed, because didn't Herod claim to be king of the Jews? And he didn't want that title given to Jesus?
0: Um, I don't know. I, I, you, are your, Herod was referred to as, as the king of the Jews, and certainly Herod maybe initially was threatened by Jesus if, if Jesus was going to challenge but, um, so, I don't know. Do you know what chief priest it's referring to? Who,
1: who that's referring?
0: Well, it's chief priest plural here, so it's not singular. He's referring to the class, and Caiaphas is the chief priest that overs- that was leading the Sanhedrin trial with Caiaphas. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Anybody else on the, on the placard? Okay. So let's, let's go on now. Uh, regarding Jesus himself being, being crucified, uh, we have accounts of all the uh, insults and blasphemy hurled against him. We'll go to Matthew 27, uh, beginning around, around verse 39. Matthew 27, verse 39. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So let's spend a little time thinking about this. Uh, First, John entirely omits any description of Jesus being mocked uh, while on the cross, but Matthew provides the most detailed uh, description of this. So, those who pass by blasphemed him, some of our translations use a different word. Perhaps they're not necessarily actually committing. Blasphemy is a technical type of violation of God's law, and and uh, perhaps these newer translations are they derided him? They hurled abuse at him. They defamed him. Okay, uh, they hurled insults at him. That that's what they're doing. Um, they're insulting him and uh, and defaming him. <clears throat> uh, the term for the term has that broad of a range. It, it can be used that way. So, and they're wagging, they're wagging their heads, and they're saying, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. So, who these passerbys are, we're not, we're not sure, but the twisted version of Jesus' temple statement of Jesus' temple saying must have been widely circulated, and now they mock him with it. So, but it's the twisted version of, of, of Jesus' statement. Jesus never said, if you go back to John chapter 2, that he would destroy the temple. Jesus urged the Jews to destroy the temple, and said that he would rebuild it in, uh, in three days. That's what he actually said. And that statement got twisted and used as a charge against him that Jesus was claiming he was going to destroy the temple. Okay. Um, so that's a twisted version of that statement, and they use it against him in his trial. Uh, and so now that has spread, and so these passerbys now have said that this man is the one who said he's going to destroy the temple. well, of course he deserves to die if he if he is going to destroy the temple. I mean, the Romans may have even executed those who who sought to destroy anybody's temple. They had a lot of different religions in the Roman Empire, and they had temples. And it was a major offense that would be avenged by the Roman government themselves if you destroyed someone's temple. Um, so uh, that's a twisted statement. And if you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Uh, let's think about that for a minute. Um, He should be capable, if he can destroy the temple, then he should be capable to, and rebuild it in three days. He should be capable of saving himself from this execution. Now, Matthew doesn't reference Psalm 22, 7 here, but it's certainly Jesus is certainly fulfilling Psalm 22, 7. All those who seek me ridicule me, all those who see me ridicule me, they shoot out the lip, they shake their head, saying, so uh this is being fulfilled as Jesus is on the cross, uh he trusted in the Lord, let him rescue him, let him deliver him since he delights in him and 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 we'll, we'll see that we'll see that in in a moment here uh, <clears throat> likewise, um oh. One more thing to say here. If you are the Son of God. What does that remind you of? Yeah, the devil. Why does it remind you of the devil, Linda? That's how he tempted Jesus at the very beginning. If you are the Son of God, or since you are that's a discussion on the temptation but if you are the son of god turn these stones into bread if you are the son of god come down from the cross so no yeah i i hear the devil's uh, the devil's voice be, behind that that particular mockery just like jesus was mocked in the wilderness when he was fasting and yeah and provoking absolutely um in 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 the temptation case, um, the Satan was trying to get Jesus to disobey his father's will, wasn't he? Yeah. So yeah, I I hear the de- I hear the devil's voice in in these mockers that are saying, "If you are the Son of God, and uh, <clears throat> come down from the cross." Pardon me. Gonna David- no, we're not going to say that. <laughs> Okay. Now Jesus did say he was the son of God. That he, you know, he did say that. That was true enough. He did make such claims. John John 10:36 to 37 is is one such claim. Uh let me see here. And this is one of the clearest uh claims when when they wanted to stone him. Do you say of him whom the father sanctified and sent into the world you are blaspheming because i said i am the son of god okay so that's one of those clear statements where we know jesus did actually say that jesus says he said that i said that i am the son of god are you if i do not do the works of my father <laughs> that He's saying he's the Son of God again, isn't he? So he says it both ways. <laughs> you know, I've said, I am the Son of God, and if I do not do the works of my father, do not do not believe in me." So Jesus did certainly make that claim, and if he wasn't the the equal son of God, then he would be blaspheming, correct, to make those kind of statements uh. So he did make those statements. But little did the confident mockers know what the Son of God actually came to do. Right? During this very hour, the mockers have no idea what the true Son of God has come into the world to do. They're, they're clueless. Indeed, since he is the Son of God, what he will not come down from the cross. Okay. Okay. They don't understand that. They don't understand the Messiah. They don't understand what the Messiah is really going to come into the world and do. Even the son of David. They don't, they don't understand that. And so they're mocking him. But we know, because we know the gospel now, we're blessed to have it. The very fact that he is the son of God is the reason he will not come down, come down from the cross. So, likewise, the chief priests also mocking with the scribes and the elders. He saved others. Himself, he cannot save. It's the same type of thing. Was there anyone there besides Jesus who actually knew what was going on? Uh, Probably not. (laughs) You know, think about it. The disciples have all forsaken him. Forsaken him. <laughs> they think, well, maybe he's not the Messiah. <laughs> I, I, I don't think anybody knows what's going on. What about the, uh, you, use the microphone because we've got others online, and and just leave it leave it on all the time.
1: Okay. There you go. Uh, what about the other guy on the cross?
0: Well. Uh, that's a that's an interesting question. Uh, that's a good question. It seems like he he knows more than anybody else in the whole crowd. We're gonna we're gonna get that we're gonna get to that in this lesson. I I never thought of that. And and uh, the soldier, the centurion, after he's going to then confess who Jesus is. But you know the 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 other fellow on the cross. Um, Seems to know that Jesus is the Messiah. Perfect. I've got to add that to my notes. <laughs> I'll put a qualifier in here. I'm glad I don't have to be a prophet or the Pope. <laughs> so, um, so, he saved others. He cannot save, save himself. Jesus had saved countless others. The reference that they're making is to the fact that he healed them. And actually, he even rose some from the dead. So when they say he saved others, that's what they're talking about. The miracles, the resurrections that he performed on others, the exorcisms of all the demons. You know, it was... You know, they saw him save others from demons, from their illnesses, and even from death. And so that's what they're talking about. Um, The interesting thing is, their statement there is a testimony to the reality of Jesus' miracles. These are his enemies testifying that this man, Jesus, worked all those miracles. And that's one of the most powerful types of testimony as far as apologetics. When your enemies, okay, confirm something about you, that's a very powerful testimony. And the fact that they're even saying this is a testimony to the reality of Jesus' miracles. He did save others, and, and they knew it. Uh, so, that's a good thing to remember. <clears throat> now, the mockers, they never pause to wonder, you know, he really did perform all those miracles. They knew it. But they never pause. like, how is it that he doesn't deliver himself now? Maybe there's something deeper going on here, you know. They never pause to wonder, what can possibly be going on here? They, they they never stop to think that. No, no such reflection. They are convinced that Jesus is a religious deceiver, a false prophet, and he deserves this fate. They're, they're convinced of that. Um, the mockers are saying he saved others. That's a testimony, I've already said that, to the reality of, of this. So, now, Matthew, of course, while writing his gospel, knows at a deeper level, Jesus could not have saved himself if he was to save others. Matthew knows that when he writes his gospel. Jesus could not have saved himself if he was to save others. And by God's grace, I think everybody in this room knows that also. Amen, huh? Yeah. Yeah. It is precisely by not saving himself that he saves others. Hey, okay? That's the way to say it and to think about it. Okay? And... Um, Indeed, he is the king of Israel, they mocked him. If he is the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. You know, what a, I don't know the word to use to describe that. Hubris, okay, yeah, arrogance, hubris. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. If he is the king of it, we will, then we will, we will believe in him. Well, Jesus referred to the unbelieving generation as what a wicked and adulterous, unbelieving generation will be given. What? One more sign. One more sign. But it will not be Jesus coming down from the cross. It will be the sign of Jonah. Jonah. Jesus rising from the dead three days from now—that will be the final sign for for the unbelieving Israelite. Um, you know, when they said, "Show us a sign and we will believe." You remember that portion in the gospel? They they said to Jesus, they tested him, saying, "You know, what sign do you give us?" <coughs> Excuse me, what sign do you give us that, that we should believe in you? And that's when Jesus referred to them as an evil and adulterous generation um, that seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given but the sign of Jonah, the prophet. Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So... So they're, they're again. They're they're testing him in the same way. Come down off the cross, and this time, this time, we we will believe you. Um, so they will get the sign of Jonah. Then they will know that he is the king of Israel, just as the placard reads. Will they believe in him then, or will they manufacture a lie to deny his resurrection? Well, stay tuned, we'll go a little further. We'll find out what at least the chief priest did. They, of course, manufactured a lie, and they still didn't believe him after he rose from the dead. But praise God for the Holy Spirit, because on the day of Pentecost, thousands of Jews did believe in him, and they realized they were responsible for his execution. Can you imagine? I'm jumping ahead a little bit to the book of Acts, but can you imagine they're saying on the day of Pentecost the placard was correct? That's what they confessed and they were baptized in His name. The placard was correct. That's right. Yeah. So now they... They mock him with great arrogance and hubris here. Uh, let him come down. So, Okay, let me get relocated back in my notes. And They have more to go. They, and then, then the mocking goes on. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. And you see what they're saying is God will not have this man. See, follow the pronouns. He, Jesus, trusted in God. Let him, let God deliver him now if God will have him. Okay? That's what they're saying. See, they're saying this man is forsaken by God. He's completely forsaken by God. God will not have him as his son. That's the mockery there. you have a question?
1: Um, This is going out. Uh, Many Bibles, and mine included, show that as a perfect quote of the Psalm 22 you just went to. Yes. Do you think these chief priests who are supposed to know the law, know they're quoting that? Or do you think it's put in a way that is simply prophetic? Well, because it seems like they're quoting right out of the prophecy of the suffering I Messiah.
0: I, I'm not sure, Brian. Jesus, they are saying this, and they're probably speaking in Aramaic, Now Matthew's translating that into Greek when Matthew writes his Gospel. um, You know, you almost think they're ignorant of Psalm 22 and they don't realize they're actually mouthing the words of Psalm 22. That's that's an interesting thing to think about. Um, Yeah. Can you imagine jumping ahead to the Apostle Paul? (laughs) when he began reading his Old Testament again uh, after he was converted, coming across all of this. Yeah. yeah, it seems like they must not have made that connection. They must not have known that. Yeah. So that's what they're saying. though. You see, you see the, how cutting deep it is. It's like God has forsaken him. You know, he trusted in God. Let God deliver him if God will now have him. For he said, for he said I am the Son of God. You see, you see what they're saying? That, that, that's the cutting mockery that, that, they're, that they're issuing from that. God will not have him even though he said, I am the Son of God. Here's the proof that he really isn't the Son of God. God wants nothing to do with this man but for him to be executed. Um, Well, yeah, in Psalm 22, we'll look at that in a moment. uh, uh, He trusted in God. No one ever trusted in God as Jesus trusted in God. No one ever did as Jesus did. Jesus' very presence on the cross is a massive testimony to the fact that He trusts in God. Psalm 22, 9 through 10. I think I have it here. We just read verse 7. Yeah, he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Here's an example of Jesus' trust. This is the Messiah speaking in 9 and 10. But you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust on my mother's breast. I was cast upon you from my birth. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. Okay. And uh, we'll read more of Psalm 22 before we're done done here. Um, Brian?
1: The verse that comforts me a lot that I think directly applies to a Messiah there and Christ is a Job thirteen fifteen that says, though you slay me, yet will I trust oh, in you. And Jesus yeah. is being slain.
0: Absolutely. And he's
1: declaring through the yes. slaying, I will trust in my God. Yes.
0: And Jesus demonstrates that one million percent. Yeah. Yeah. So, <clears throat> the mockers assume that God would deliver Jesus his son, from the cross. Little do they understand the plan and commitment between the father and his son. See, this is a plan and commitment between the father and his son. You know, the son accepted the responsibility to save all that the father had chosen. The son accepted that responsibility and the the father promised to raise him from the dead and what, what is on display here is a commitment both of the Father and the Son. The Father would give the Son. The Son would be willing to go to carry out the Father's plan of salvation. And that's what's unfolding before our eyes here. We call that the covenant of redemption. The, the agreement between Father and Son worked out in eternity past. And, and that's been called covenant of redemption. And that the Son then would be given, if the Son humiliated Himself, then the Son would be given all that is needed, including the Holy Spirit's work, to build the to build church. And it's really three members of the covenant of redemption, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in eternity past, each take on commitments in order to work out our salvation. So uh, Jesus here is doing the will of His Father, and he's doing that because he trusts his father. Uh, so um, yeah, okay, um, wow. <clears throat> so there's the all the mockery that 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 was going on. Any comments or questions on on that? We're getting to the two... Anybody? Oh. Oh. (laughs) Um, Well, we're up to the third one. And, oh wow, I can't do it in... If we could do it in 15 minutes, I would do it, and we'd run 10 minutes over. The two rebels on a cross. Do it in 15 minutes, or no? What's that? Can you do it that long? I could probably do it in 15 minutes. I won't ask any questions. <laughs> just, just <two. laughs> I don't know. And you've got you got some of you have little children at home. <laughs> we bet. Been... This, uh, this is your date night. Wow, you came here on your date night. That's really cool. <laughs> well I don't know I started late I caused this problem we started at least five or ten minutes but late I think, I think we could go <laughs> <laughs> all right let, let's, let's do this let's do the third one about about the rebels and uh, so the two rebels that are executed with Jesus uh <clears throat> now I think here uh, Luke has uh, the most detail here, but I want to say a few introductory things to this. We're on page 227, the bottom left. Uh, Whether the other two men being crucified were robbers or political rebels is not easy to determine. The Greek term is used for either... The the Greek term is used for either in the New Testament. And we looked at this last week when we went over Barabbas. In detail, we discussed who Barabbas was. And and I'm not going to review all of that. Um, You can see that discussion. It's in the notes. Now, there were crimes that political... There were more crimes than political rebellion which merited a crucifixion sentence. But being a thief or a robber was not one of them. That's why some think robbers is really not... They were insurrectionists on the left and the right. uh, Rebels. And we laid the groundwork for this when we were talking about Barabbas uh, last week or the week before. Luke provides the most detail on on the two other men being crucified. Now he uses a different term from Matthew, Mark, and John, which simply means criminal or evildoer. And that's why in your translations, when when we get to Luke, all of our translations will agree when when we get to Luke uh, twenty three thirty-two. There are also two other criminals, and they, all the translations uh, line up here. ESV, criminals, New American Standard, criminals, New English translation. They use the term criminals. But this is unique to Luke. It's Matthew, John, and Mark that use this other term, which could mean robber, or it could mean rebel or insurrectionist. So, the other three Gospels use that term. Of course, an evildoer here could be an insurrectionist. So, uh, that's, that's the vocabulary going on here. <clears throat> so, okay. Um, the execution of these other two men must have already been planned prior to Friday. These other two guys, at least, were planned to be executed on Friday. Now, Pilate would have sentenced them to crucifixion also. So, Pilate's had a lot of business here lately. (laughs) So, he would have sentenced them to this type of execution, uh, likely for some type of rebellion charge. Um, Now, it's possible that Barabbas... And we know he was a rebel. There's no doubt there about Barabbas that he was an insurrectionist. But it's possible that he was the third guy and that Jesus took his place. Can't prove that. Can't prove that. But but it is possible because the text says that it wasn't simply Barabbas that was in prison for rebellion. It was Barabbas and some others. So there was more than one insurrectionist imprisoned right then at that time. And Barabbas would have been a hero in the eyes of many of the Jews for, for opposing Rome. And so it's not... The Jews didn't ask for a thief to be released. They asked for an insurrectionist to be released because they hated the Romans. And Barabbas in their sight was a hero. At least with the Zealot party, he would have been a hero, right? With that political party of the Zealots, Barabbas would have been a hero to them. So that's why some think the reason there were three there is that Barabbas was was also supposed to be executed and they asked for his release. We went through those texts in detail a couple couple weeks ago here. So... All right, so um, one of the criminals who was hanged blasphemed him saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself. Luke 23, 39. Perhaps he heard the mocking of the crowd and joined in. Perhaps he saw the placard. I don't know. Matthew and Mark report that both criminals reviled Jesus. However, one of them experienced a radical change of mind, and Luke is the, one, Luke is the only one that records that. And there, I, I don't know, there's no other way to explain this, that, that um, this one criminal experienced a radical change of mind as he's on the cross there observing all this going on. You know, had he been observing Jesus' non-retaliation and non-defense as they hurled all those abuses toward him? We know that the manner in which Jesus died had a profound effect on one of the other soldiers on the ground. It did. So we just don't know, but we know theologically that even at this time, the Holy Spirit called him to faith in Jesus, don't we? We know that theologically and we know the Holy Spirit is capable of doing that and we got an example of that right here, right? Of course we do. We know that's possible, okay? But the other answering rebuked him. The one criminal rebuked the other. The other answering rebuked him saying, do you not even fear God seeing you are under the same condemnation? Let's stop there for a minute. This criminal was brought to faith and repentance at the last moment of his life. And from his rebuke of the other criminal, we know that he began to fear God, realizing perhaps clearly for the first time that he was under God's condemnation. So he says to the other criminal who is still hurling abuse, do you not fear God? Obviously meaning he has begun to fear God and he's fearing God's condemnation. Right now he is gripped with the reality of God's condemnation and and he has this fear. Part of his experience here is to fear God. And then he goes on, and indeed we justly so he goes further and says, they are justly being executed. That is, their execution is a display of God's justice. I mean, he, he knows now more than every Protestant apostate theologian in the world. <laughs> okay? <laughs> right? <laughs> there is such a thing as God's justice... And he is being justly executed because of God's justice. He, he goes beyond second causes. It's not, just the, it's not the Romans, ultimately, that are responsible for his execution as a criminal. It's God who's responsible because God is administering justice. That's what he says. And we justly. Who establishes justice? Not Rome. God does. That's his thinking. We are being crucified here as an act of God's justice. That's what he's thinking. And we justly. Okay? Yeah. For he says, for we receive the due reward from God, I would add, right? We receive the due reward for from God of our deeds. For our deeds. The next thing he does is he exonerates Jesus saying, but this man has done nothing wrong. So, he becomes yet another witness to Jesus' innocence. Pilate witnessed to Jesus' innocence three times. Pilate's wife witnessed to Jesus' innocence. Herod witnessed to Jesus' innocence. Now this criminal witnesses to Jesus' innocence in this account. Oh, I knew. No, I forgot. Judas was the first one. I made a point out of that, that Judas was the first one to declare Jesus' Innocence, when he he went back and he said, I've betrayed innocent blood. Thank you. Yeah, so that's five. And Pilate has three times. So that's five different individuals and that's eight times that Jesus' innocence is is witnessed to here and the thief on the cross is in in that elite league. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So we receive our due reward, the due reward of our deeds. He exonerates Jesus. Then, then, then this criminal says, he says to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. So, let's take this apart a little bit. He refers to Jesus as Lord. Now that's good. He refers to him as Lord. And he believes Jesus is the king of the Jews, just as the placard says. He believes Jesus what will come in His kingdom. He believes Jesus obviously is, is somehow, in the future, Jesus is going to return in His kingdom. So he believes Jesus is the Messiah as Brian, as you pointed out a little bit earlier. Jesus will come in his kingdom. So, his simple request of Jesus, remember me when you come, is an expression of faith in Jesus. Remember me when you come in your kingdom. Jesus' response is extremely comforting for sinners, isn't it? And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. So, uh, the criminal's conversion has all the necessary experiential elements of a true conversion. They're right here. Conviction of sin. He knows he's justly under God's condemnation. We call that conviction of sin. he knows that. That God justly condemns him. He's not going to argue about that, you see. Oh God, you're unreasonable. Oh, it wasn't that bad. No. No, he owns his own condemnation. That's, that's real conviction of sin. That's part of every real conversion experience. Repentance. It's there. We receive the due reward of our deeds. <laughs> He's had a radical change of mind from the life that he's lived up to this point. He's basically repenting of the life that he lived. He goes, the life that I lived up to this point is worthy of this death. That's repentance. He's had a total change of thinking. He's had a total change of attitude about his own life. He's lived an ungodly, evil life to this point. And now he says that life is my life that I lived is fully worthy of condemnation. That's repentance. Father, I've sinned against heaven in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So so, so there's conviction of sin there. there. There's repentance in this man. And there's faith, isn't there? You bet. There's faith in Jesus. This man has done nothing wrong. And your kingdom, he refers to, he says, your kingdom, Jesus is the king. This man believes Jesus is the king. He's innocent. He's done nothing wrong. And Jesus has a kingdom. He's the king. Faith is also really expressed by calling upon the Lord to save him. Lord, Remember me when you come in your kingdom. Okay? That sounds like Romans 10. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, what? Shall be saved. He's calling upon the name of the Lord with what little knowledge he has, but it's enough. Isn't that wonderful? It's absolutely wonderful. And then Jesus assures him, Assuredly, I say to you, this day you will be with me in Paradise. So, um, give me two more minutes. It's it's eight twelve. I'll make a theological point here. This historical case confirms that we are understanding the rest of our New Testaments correctly when we conclude that salvation is based on faith alone in Christ alone. This we have an experiential confirmation of the doctrine we believe that the rest of the New Testament teaches. Faith alone in Christ alone. Ordinances or sacraments are not the means of salvation. Rather, they help us understand the salvation we've already received. And they remind us of what God has graciously done for us. Obviously, this man did not practice any ordinances or sacraments. Uh, And those ordinances or sacraments, if you prefer that term, those ordinances which they encourage our thankfulness and encourage our desire to obey. They are not exercises by which we earn our salvation or by which God saves us. Deeds of the law do not justify us before God or form a basis for saving us. The basis for saving the criminal on the cross and ourselves was that Jesus would not save himself from God's judgment. Rather, he took our place to save us from God's righteous judgment, which we too, along with that criminal on the cross, so richly deserve. Okay? So, (sighs) praise God. Uh, may may um, may I hope always be grounded in the historical reality of what took place and what we're studying here okay. um, You have uh, any other thoughts or or comments or questions?
1: <laughs> I would like to echo one on that same sentiment that this thief came to faith and repentance. In Christ alone, and what kind of gospel was preached to him there by jesus it 's the most fascinating thing to think about. Mm. He is witnessing something happening, and jesus isn 't preaching a sermon no he 's there suffering yeah jesus isn 't necessarily talking to him except for when he answers him he yeah. says today so Think about you know, the way we witness and how I, I, I'm a, not a great evangelist and all Jesus had to do was stand there and die. Oh. And that
0: yeah. broke him. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. There's a place for simplicity. There's a time for simplicity. And um, this was one of those times. I think Alistair Begg has a real funny thing about this. Have any, have any of you heard that? I heard that recently. It's it's both, it makes a point. Uh, I can't repeat it. If Find somebody, if you know somebody who listens to a lot Alistair Begg. He, he makes a point, kind of something like you're saying about this incident. And I can't recall it specifically, but it's really good. Anybody else have, have a comment or, or a question you guys have? Okay. All right, uh, Brian, uh, lead us in prayer as we finish.
1: Oh Lord, we are undone, um, standing and falling beneath the cross. Lord, mm. e- comparing what Christ done for us uh, against ourselves, Lord, and our own wickedness, Lord, it um, is where we need to be found. Lord, we need to be found uh, beneath the cross of Jesus daily. Lord, hourly, Lord, um, it is the most wondrous, um, as pastor has described, culmination, culmination, Lord, of all of redemptive history in that moment. Lord, I pray that we would all spend more time Mm -hmm. considering the small little things that happened there that all add up uh, to this wondrous plan that you acted out in, in gory detail and nothing was left, no stone was left unturned to bring us, Lord, out of the miry pit and out of the clay, Lord, and to set us on the rock of our of our Messiah. So, Lord, I, I just ask that no matter what we're going through uh, health-wise, Lord, um, or financially, Lord, or difficulties in our life, Lord, that by keeping our eyes fixed on Christ, um, it diminishes all of these afflictions and these really heavy weights, Lord, as Paul say, says, becomes momentary light afflictions, Lord. Um, indeed, the heaviest weight becomes light when we compare it to the eternal glory that awaits mm-hmm. us and what Christ bought for us with that blood that was spilling out. Lord, I just pray again that you'd be with those in our congregation that are, that are in need um, and need your grace and need the ministry of the saints to them. And I pray that you would bless those that have come tonight, that this would be a blessing to them. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.
0: Amen.